everyone, and welcome to the Water Cooler episode 13. My name is Marley Silverbrand, and today I'm joined by Cameron Avery. It's me. Uh, this is, you're basically, a, um, it's a trilogy, uh, trilogy. performance, aren't <laughs> Yeah, it's your the, the three-piece. Yeah, uh, the three-peat, James, you're, you're going, uh, you're LeBron James right now, going for, going for that three-peat. <laughs> No, uh, I'm I'm Jorge Masvidal. Who who is that? <laughs> he, uh, he's an MMA fighter. Oh, okay. He he busted up a different fighter uh, backstage, and he said he gave him a three piece and a soda. Okay, uh, that that's like a three piece, like like, like chicken wings. Chicken wings. Oh, okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so what's up, Marley? Yeah. I'm doing good. It's definitely, it feels like a year has gone by since we re- recorded last and so much has been going on a minute, yeah. in it's the world. A, it's been like a week or two. Uh, we, we just, How's the uh, weekend? It, it was good. Um, it just a lot of, a lot of working and stuff like that. A lot of trying to make, make this podcast as best as I can and just working on my mental health. But You're still how working you been for, uh, that, uh, scooter company or, or Walmart. Yeah, I'm still working for the uh, the the scooter company. It's called Spin. Okay. Right. Do, right. Do, do they have Spin in Berkeley? I don't think so. There's another uh, like a green scooter thing. Uh, I forgot what it's called, but it, I don't think it's Spin. Is it Lime Scooter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Lime. Yeah, we have that here in Sacramento. Uh, it's definitely uh, the they're they're everywhere. So. I th- I've I only think... ever used one of those services while I was up in Tahoe a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? I, I I think it's really cool. I think mm-hmm. definitely for those who can who can use it. I, I never use it here in Berkeley though, because because I know where I'm going. You know, when yeah. I was up in Tahoe, I just like rented one of those bike ones. I think it was Lime Bike or it was a different kind of bike, and uh, you know, it just rode around Tahoe. It was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, they're they're super inexpensive and just. We're not trying. This isn't an advertisement for Lime Scooter or Spin Scooter, but uh, if you if you have one of those in your city, just give it a shot. They're really fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, this is episode thirteen. I guess if you are uh, following this in like TV show format, this is basically like the season finale of the Water Cooler podcast. <laughs> or uh, so the next episode. Water Cooler be- gonna get a gonna get a facelift. Gonna get a whole new whole new agenda yeah well i gotta make i gotta make a new intro song uh well <laughs> if you want that's uh, by the way by the way cameron avery uh did the wonderful intro song that you heard uh at the start of the podcast so thank you cameron again <laughs> uh but yeah uh yeah uh, do you do you view tv shows as like having like 13 episodes or like uh i, I, I think i always thought of- I think I always think of like 12 to be the standard mm-hmm. standard limit, you know. There's yeah. some shows that do like 10, some shows do like 20. Mm-hmm. I usually think 12, 12 to 15 is a good number. Yeah. Um and uh, like most TV shows we're just kind of forming our, uh we're forming in season 1, you're you're getting you're getting to know us and everything. You're getting to know the people that are going to be regulars on on this podcast and Cameron, you've You've been on three so far. Uh, thank you uh, for sharing your experiences in 2020 with <laughs> with mm-hmm. everything that's going on. 
but um, speaking of experiences last night, uh, did you watch the NBA Finals? I did. That that was that was that was quite a game. Um, I think I thought it was kind of frustrating. To not gonna lie, frustrate. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, I don't know. Um, someone who who looks up to LeBron, I guess you know. I was kind of watching him play, and I don't know if it's because he's getting older and he's trying to take less damage. But yeah, that narrative that LeBron will take plays off, you know, or or he'll uh, Rondo will be pushing it back, you know, to the other side of the court to advance on offense. And LeBron's still kind of lingering behind a little bit because he's frustrated that they, they, they let Jimmy Butler score or whatever, you know, and I don't know, seeing that side of LeBron, I guess it makes him LeBron and we wouldn't have him without that side, but like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how I uh, how I feel about it being a LeBron fan. I think if anyone were to get frustrated, I think him arguing calls are uh, like it was. He was out in full force, kind of like yeah. if you if he was getting touch like like just like a touch foul. He was like looking at the ref, just kind of looking at them like they're stupid. And I think if for think that's Le- a part of the game, it it definitely is. And especially since LeBron's the face of the league, uh, it it definitely doesn't send the right message for like kids like watching mm-hmm. him today, seeing people complain and stuff like that. But I don't know. Well, I don't think I don't think athletes have, uh, for the most part, I don't think they have a, a uh, I don't know what the word is a uh, a. It's not like they owe it to the young viewers to be a role model, you know, they are going to be, but I don't think when you're on the court, you have to think about, Oh, what are the millions of people viewing at home going to think about this? You know what I mean? Yeah. He's in the spirit of the game and it's very intense moment. He's in the, in a championship game or he's been before, you know? Mm -hmm. So in the heat of the moment, I could definitely relate to how he questions the ref's calls all the Mm -hmm. time you know even when the refs are clearly right you know it's like um like that bam out of bio shot that ref knew you know which was kind of weird uh how they reviewed it a play after but uh the refs knew it it was a shot clock violation and Mm -hmm. everyone on the heat were like no roll it back you know Mm -hmm. granted it was close and all but that's just what you do when you're in intense situations right i mean do you ever do you ever play sports when you were younger yeah, um, the, you definitely kind of for like when when that ball I, like I played basketball in high school and I feel like when that when that ball goes up and uh, I, I tip it I tip it out because I was a center but like I use I forget about everything that's going on ar- like around me I just know what's going on on the court right you know and, so sometimes it's a little that va- it's a it's a vacuum of motion you know yeah. Like yeah, like I understand like Black Lives Matter is posted like all over the court, and like a lot of these players say that they're playing for like Black Lives Matter, but uh, I I I believe I'd have to agree with you that they that it's like you said it's a vacuum. They just kind of like it's it's game four of the NBA Finals. That's all they care about. They all care. They only care about winning. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I mean, 
social justice society. I know they're all on the same page there. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like being someone who watched football, especially where everything is intense and, you know, um, fights between players are a pretty common regular thing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more trash talk going on in, in football than there is in basketball, you know, and then I turn on the basketball game and I'll see, uh, like LeBron went after uh, Crowder because he he, he fouled him um, mm-hmm. in the paint, and LeBron's like, "Whoa, what'd you do, man? You, you like fouled me every like second t- time in a row? That's some BS." And I'm just thinking to myself, I mean, just take it. Just like I I get it. You want to you're intense, and and Crowder fouled you a second possession in a row, and you want to tell him that you're better, and so you need to foul me. But like, I mean, I, I guess like an experience comes to mind is the other like before COVID when playing basketball outdoors was normal. Um, I was in a pickup game and like a- every shot I would take, I would yell. Mm-hmm. I would just, I would like, or, or a grunt, like, ah, you know, or something like that. And I guess when you're doing that in the paint and you yell, you're calling for a foul. And mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know that. So I just yell because it's like, it's just, you know, you're intense and you're doing something. And it's like when you're throwing a punch, you want to make a ha, you know, like karate noises, you know, right. It's a part of the game. So, and so I think that intensity, I brought that intensity over to basketball from football. And, and also, I don't, I didn't really know. I don't, it, it was really hard for me to learn basketball skills because no one coached me on it. I had to like learn just by watching other people play. And, mm-hmm. and so there was one time where I actually called a foul. I, I thought I got fouled and I actually called a foul and the dude's like, you're, you yell every play. Why would we, you know, you're the boy who cried wolf. And I'm like, no, I just yell. Cause I yell, <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Right. I, I can see how players get, get uh, intense, but I, I also kind of feel like what's the big deal with basketball players. I, I hate being that applying that narrative. And I know I just kind of big soapbox talk there, but. Oh, it's fine. You you know what I mean? You know what I mean, though? Yeah, I, I think it's like I, I, I don't mind like the players showing emotion because that adds character to the game. And it, like you, you definitely know like LeBron is like the guy that makes uh, I think Deuce, Deuce Mason said this on the on two on his last podcast. He said that LeBron has like this face where if he if that face turns on, then the Lakers are winning. Just because it's it's like his it's like his but game face, but it's it's you don't want to be the other team. Yeah, you don't want to be the other team because it's like it's like a super sand mode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think he said something. He had actually had a stat like the like like the Lakers are like four and zero like when Le, when LeBron makes that face. So you never want to you never want to see that. So I feel like that adds to the game. But yeah, if it's I agree. Yeah. Some people don't. Some people some people think he's a quote unquote bitch, you know, and they say LeBron cries too much and I just think he that's his intensity showing, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he's, you know, trying to get away with stuff and trying to be an actor or anything. He's just an intense player. But he's, and, and he holds himself to the highest standard more than anybody else in the league probably. Right? He's 16 years in the league. I feel like he's kind of earned the right to like make that face and just and just be super competitive because he's been doing it for so long oh yeah i think someone like luka Doncic that complains like every every time he's like has like a touch foul i feel like he can't really get away with that just yet with just being a second year in the league 
Like, but would you like? Do you do you agree with that? Well, I mean, to get away with it, what does that mean? You know, to to uh... like that uh, that the fans would be on his side. Right. Right. Well, um, I definitely don't hear the Luca narrative that much, but I mean, I think everyone in the league. To say they can get away with it, it's weird, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't think – it's not like LeBron doesn't get away with it because people hate on him mm-hmm. so much for it. But I think he he deserves to – to. I think everyone, if you play a professional sport, you you deserve to open your mouth a little bit and say what you think about the game, you know, mm-hmm. because you, you can't just, like, be expected to bottle that shit in, right? Right. <laughs> you know, and – there's a big there's a big disparity between uh high school and collegiate sports and professional sports you know professional guys get paid for it so you know which is kind of weird a lot of people would say well because they get paid for it they should they're privileged and they should take it for not take it for granted well you know i mean it's not like that they do get paid for it it's their job so they do get to deserve that luxury of being loose on the court you know they're adults you know they could celebrate they could dance and they could say weird things you know Granted, some of them no can drink too speech. so well, drink except, what do you mean like after like after the game and stuff like that oh oh yeah yeah definitely i mean that's your choice as a human too right mm-hmm. um some players shouldn't you know like the younger ones but yeah but, like like darren fox i think he's 20 or something like that but um but yeah, someone said, I don't know if it was a basketball player or a football player. I think it was a basketball. Oh, shoot, you know, I can't remember. He said that the rookies shouldn't come out and party with me because they don't know how to do it yet. They don't know how to party and 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 go play a game the next day. You know what I mean? Because because they're rookies. They just want to get they're young. You know, they want to experience that, you know, intoxication you know but NBA that, lifestyle so, yeah but because of that they don't know how to you know recuperate and there was a, a veteran player that said don't come out and party with me if you're a rookie because you're doing yourself uh you're not doing yourself a favor well i i think that i don't really di- agree with that um with with that statement just because like even though they don't really know how to party like they also played like college sports too where they had to balance like school and work with like work life balance. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't have like part-time jobs like to get their way. Well, may, maybe they did uh, to get themselves through school, but like they had like finals midterms and they also had to be like the star of like a football or, or basketball team. Mm-hmm. So that that's a lot to balance. Like when you're 18, 19 years old and True. you're the star football player, star basketball player, for like a division one like division one team yeah yeah so i could see that they definitely want to you know have that freedom that they weren't allowed in college Mm -hmm. but their bodies are also younger Mm -hmm. and well you know that should be a better thing right i guess but their minds aren't as matured yeah but it like a lot of like i forget who said this but a lot of uh rookies coming into the league i know for basketball i don't know about for football uh, a lot of these rookies coming in they like they played aau like in high school like they're like they have like a, a lot more mileage on their bodies 
than LeBron did, like when he first came into the league, mm. just because because they had they had that college rule. Yeah, they had. That's what you're saying. Yeah, they had the college rule, and also just the basically like players like De'Aaron Fox or even like someone like Luca that was playing professional since he was 13. Like he's probably put more mileage on his on his body than than LeBron has. Not trying to take away anything from like what LeBron has done in 16 years, but uh, it's it's just interesting. So I see what you're saying. Um, he gets the experience, but on the other side, he gets a little bit more wear and tear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We the Raiders running back. Uh, we're pretty fortunate that uh, he didn't run the ball a lot in college. He wasn't the feature running back when he was in college. Mm-hmm. So now that we drafted him, it's like he's he's even fresher than the current rookies. Mm-hmm. You know, because he didn't play as much as those guys. Yeah. Who's that running back? I'm just Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs. I love him. He's great. Yeah. Is he's is he's is he year two or year one? Or... He is year two right now, mm-hmm. and he is looking like a premier running back in the league. Nice. So someone who who could just run down someone's throat and power it. As someone that is like you played football in high school. And, yeah, I played seven years. Uh, and someone's just like I've never played football because my high school we 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 didn't have enough people for a team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, did I did I tell you what high school I went to or Tioga? Yeah, I know, yeah. I know where you went. I know. Yeah. I'm familiar with Tioga. Yeah, uh, I think we played you a couple times, like in preseason or something like that, or like an exhibition game, like for, right. for, uh, yeah, uh, but like I'm a casual football fan. I've never played football. Like, like what would you describe like a premier running back? Like, or someone who can take the beatings, uh, right? It's not. It's not always the flashy guy. It's not always the guy that can make you miss on every down. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's the guy who can consistently come out on the field and be available for your team. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy who fights for every yard, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. take plays off. And I'm not saying there's a lot of guys who take plays off. And someone ultimately someone who is just dependent and reliable, who like, mm-hmm. okay, we're not doing well throwing the ball or we're not doing great with these short passes. We're going to hand it off to our running back because we know he can get us three yards at least every time. And that's mm-hmm. the thing is I remember when, my first year of football or my second year of football coach always told us if you get the football in your hands i want you to get at least three yards that is the minimum if mm-hmm. you get and if you get any more you know great but if you get three i'm happy because if you get three on first down three on second down three on third down then you have a fourth and one you get another three yards and boom that's a first down so that's like the average you want mm-hmm. you know i'm not saying uh, definitely if a running back uh, at the end of the season, it has three yards per carry. It's not good. Mm-hmm. You want something more like five or six yards per carry. But uh, I think Josh Jacobs is a premier back because he's one of those guys that can continually to take hits. Mm-hmm. And I also think running back is the most brutal position because mm-hmm. you're running up behind those six foot six, 300 pound linemen. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, if you, you know, if you're strong enough to get through them, then you're, you're going through some, you know, like power forwards and the linebackers mm-hmm. and you're, you're, you're going through every level. You're getting beat up every game. It, it's, it's definitely the most underrated position 
because yeah. they give him a dime a dozen, you know. If one it, running back doesn't work out, you can sign a free agent, give him a chance, and he, he running backs can look good easily, but they don't look great easily. You know what I mean? It, well, as a casual fan, like I feel like running backs aren't necessarily like it. Like you said, they like it, they aren't flashy, and like like I I see like when I see like a good player, I see like a wide receiver. Like like yeah, that was a good catch. Right. That was a good. That was a good uh run after the catch or like uh quarterback yeah. where that that was a good throw like downfield against double coverage uh but like when i see a, a running back i like it's it's hard for me to differentiate those two just because it's like they like you said five yards is 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 where you want the the target to be i guess you know three yards being the minimum but uh, uh, I, I definitely see how, you know, it's kind of like jazz, you know, you kind of have to kind of have to have an acquired taste or, you know, you don't have somebody teach you or you kind of have to have somebody teach you to taste beer. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You don't drink beer for the first time and say, I like this. <laughs> right. Uh, so I guess it kind of takes a little uh, uh, experience watching it because mm-hmm. not every running back, every game is going to have great, plays and big chunks of yard or of, uh yards for touchdowns it's it's the ones that can chip away the defense mm-hmm. one play at a time they're waiting for that big play they may never get that big play but they could still end the game with almost 100 yards on 20 carries mm-hmm. you know that's five yards a carry yeah boom that's that's what you want you know he may not you know look like barry sanders or or i can't even think of who the best running back in the league right now is I, th- I would say Christian McCaffrey mm-hmm. just because he's kind of a do-it-all running back but he also catches it out of the backfield a lot so he's kind of like a, a wide receiver in a sense too mm-hmm. but he's very agile he's a very agile guy he's he's one of those running backs that people like to watch mm-hmm. he's at the Seahawks uh the Panthers he's okay the Panthers okay I don't know why I thought the Seahawks but <laughs> um but you you said you you played uh, football for seven years, right? Yep. And uh, seven um, years of hell. One of one of the things like I, I like about you, Cameron, is that you, uh, like you like football, you like UFC, like you play like all these sports, but like uh, like you're diverse and you play you like you you play music too. Like mm-hmm. we mentioned, you made the intro and stuff like that, and people could check out your SoundCloud. Like what like. What made you want to like like did you play like music like uh, like when you played football or did nope. you when it I, up later when I w- played football that's all I ever wanted to do mm-hmm. you know it's kind of I'm a very passionate person so when I do something that's all I want to do mm-hmm. I don't really care about anything else you mm-hmm. know I don't you know so the seven years I played football more like the six years I my last year of playing football I knew it wasn't my passion anymore. Mm-hmm. But the first six years, I loved it. And I, I kind of wasn't that good. You know, I was a bench warmer for for most of the time. But, uh, you know, I loved seven on sevens during the summer mm-hmm. because I'm tall and lean. I'm, I'm not really a big dude that could take a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and when when I first started watching football, when I saw wide receivers run down the field and catch a deep pass and go in for a touchdown, I'm like, that's football. 
Mm-hmm. Like you were, like you were saying, you know, you kind of reminded me of that. I think the wide receiver position is the quintessential position of football. Mm-hmm. Most people would say it's quarterback, but when I saw, you know, Tim Brown with the Raiders back in the early two thousands, I'm like, that's kind of what I want to do. So I started playing and my first year I was like wheezing. Everyone thought I had asthma. Everyone thought I was going to quit, but I didn't pull through. And when usually like when you show up for summer camp, you get like 40 to 50 guys in the field. Mm-hmm. And then by the time week one starts, you only have 30 guys. And then by the time week 10 comes around and it's almost time for the end of the season, you know, you got like five or six guys that are done for the year. And then you got probably five or six more guys, maybe a little less that decided to quit midway through the season because they couldn't tough it out. Mm-hmm. Not me though. I didn't, I never wanted to do, to do that. Um, I did always admire the kids that played band at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it came to transitioning to music, um, I get, I wanted to be a, I, this is how I always say it. I remember it. I wanted to be a sports journalist after high school because playing sports didn't work out for me. And then um, sports journalism turned into writing. I wanted to be a creative writer Mm-hmm. because sports journalism is kind of creative writing i like I, I i made a tumblr account and i was doing this whole thing where i was following football news there were the the peyton manning sweepstakes was going on right he just left the colts mm-hmm. and there were like five or six teams that were considering picking him up so i wrote a, like a sort of colorful article about where i think he should go where i think he should fit in mm-hmm. and eventually it evolved into me writing some crappy short stories and then me studying lyrics from Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. And then, because I think Jimi Hendrix has incredible songwriting. His lyrics are, are really, they really paint a beautiful picture. And, and then I'm like, well, Jimi plays guitar. He's like the most famous guitar player of all time. Mm-hmm. So I figured I'd play guitar. And then it's kind of all she wrote from there. Yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really great story. Like, so Jimi Hendrix is definitely like your... Um, he is the quintessential guitar player in my mm-hmm. mind and it's funny because i really i he caught my ear from his lyrics first uh songs like little wing castles made of sand um and bold as love uh angel uh those songs like that i love those lyrics and then i would just would be listening to him nonstop. and my mom wanted to get me out of the house so she paid for guitar lessons uh-huh. and um you know because i was playing too much 2k it's like all day i was smoking mm-hmm. weed you know i didn't know what to do after i graduated high school i only got a job just because everyone else had a job right so mm-hmm. i started playing guitar and i got lessons from beautiful man greg Knoll. uh rest in peace he was an incredible teacher of mine um he he made a huge difference too because he, he wasn't like one of those teachers where, like a classical guitar teacher, where you have to stay within rules, you have to learn their music, you know, you have to do this really boring stuff before you start getting in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. Greg, Greg threw me into what I thought was fun immediately. And that's what made me, I feel like that made me stick with guitar, you know. He, I, up, I think I know Greg Knoll. Uh did he have that guitar shop like on it's in Sonora, like off of um, shoot, I forget that road. 
You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, well, it's a, like is East it uh, uh, East Sonora? Yeah, uh, yeah, like like Live Oak music. Yeah, when you're when you're going up towards uh, oh jeez, uh, I that road. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know we're, what we're talking about. Um, yeah, <laughs> he he didn't work at Live Oak. It wasn't his. Uh, the guy who owns Live Oak, his name is Ron. Mm-hmm. He's a great guy. Greg uh, taught lessons for a long time mm-hmm. right next to Live Oak. And then he moved his lessons to Washington Street. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, do you remember Sonora Creative Learning? They had yeah. like a, yeah, he, he moved from Live Oak Studios to that place. And then, and then Sonora Creative Learning uh, got shut down. And mm-hmm. then it changed into this weird uh, trinket place or, or uh, what's it called? Uh, Magic the Gathering, I think. Did, did it turned into that? Like it was no, like no, no. It, it was that the, the creative learning place uh, was a place for like books and toys, and there was mm-hmm. a music section too. And yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they had a, a like a tabletop uh, uh, games being played there. Groups came from there for tabletop, and then it turned mm-hmm. into a thrift store. That's what it was. Okay. I think I think creative learning shut down for whatever reason. They they went out of business. And then these two ladies opened up a thrift store, sort mm-hmm. of like a thrift store, and they let Greg continue to teach there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Greg was great. He was one of those guys that was like Sonora's guitar teacher. Mm-hmm. You needed a guitar teacher that wasn't expensive, you go to Greg Knoll. Yeah. He, uh, he actually uh, passed away in February, early February this year. That's, that's unfortunate. Rest in peace, Greg Knoll. Yeah, he was great. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's weird because, you know, he's not here anymore. But whenever mm-hmm. I play guitar, it, it, it doesn't feel like he left sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's in it's it. I really think that's what really grabbed me with music. Mm-hmm. And I know I know I could have gone back to sports journalism or people always say I should try broadcasting because of my voice or whatever. And I'm like, no, you know, just music is so powerful. What you're doing you know, that now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in a sense, I'm online. I'm and, I, and I'm I'm doing some communications work, which mm-hmm. I've always been interested in. Yeah, uh, I think that is like fascinating because, like, I have had a few of those moments where I've uh, not necessarily like this person isn't gone, but I haven't talked to them in a while. But they taught me a lot, and like, if I'm doing something like like in film i'm like it's like it's like they're right next to me i think that's like such a powerful like uh like feeling that you have inside Uh, it's 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 super weird it's almost supernatural so yeah people death is a regular thing you know people die but but they can live on through their memories you Mm -hmm. know through through your memories and as long as you remember them like in the movie coco Oh God, I love that movie. Coco's so oh, good. Oh my right, God. <laughs> right? Oh, I was bawling. Yeah. But like it, it, it like spoke to me so well. It's like don't don't forget those who have passed and those who have lived before you and aren't living anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, just because their body isn't here doesn't mean that their their spirits are gone too. There's, you can fulfill their spirit in a sense by taking their teachings and moving it forward to the world. And yeah. Uh-huh. And I, I feel like it's what I do playing guitar. You know, it's like I can't call it like I, I just I would always I still get that feeling. I don't really have anybody to call up just about any guitar question. You know, I, I would call them up like every other month and I would have some 
some question about guitar or music that I didn't know about. And then uh, I still get that every now and then where, you know, I don't really get that opportunity, but I can still pick up my guitar and like, boom. And it's just like we were at lessons, just like, you know, from five years ago. And uh, it's like, I can communicate with him. Yeah. It's like, like it's, I think even if like you're, you're not spiritual and stuff like that, I guess uh, it's, it's like, music has like its own music is its own religion and it's it's super interesting that you can just communicate with someone just 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 by like you said mm -hmm. picking up your guitar and just like you're having a conversation with them it's right. it, it i could see like a short film like that like you're just jamming out in your room and you're just like and you're playing and then greg Knoll just pops up and you're just like hey what's up <laughs> i don't know where else you would go with that but uh I could I could just picture like that scene in my mind right now. I think I think that's really powerful. It and it, it's and it's really um, when you really embrace that sort of spirituality or whatever you want to call it, it becomes like an out of body experience. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think, you know, it, it's it's hard to say that you can control that because sometimes that stuff just happens naturally in your feelings and in your emotions and in your energy, but. Uh, you can you can really control that feeling you know and get to that state of mind you know and um like just just not just say anything but like i can say that i've had Jimi hendrix channel energy into my guitar playing as crazy as that sounds you know it's probably you know it's not like you can prove or disprove it but you know because i got in this i got this crazy state of mind i was jamming out and i just I just was thinking of Jimmy. He was in my head and all of a sudden I'm looking at myself from like a third person perspective in my mind. Mm -hmm. And it really feels that way. And I really feel like Jimi Hendrix is in the room or like, um, I, or like he's showing me what to play or he's telling me what to play, you know, granted it's probably because Hendrix is like my mo one of my most listened to artists of all time. So I'm definitely going to sound a little like Jimmy, you know, well, so. I think guitar players are like they're uh it's 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 very it's very easy to have like that personal connection too just because just the the the, the instrument the guitar is such a fascinating like instrument cuz you're you're so, you're you're so close to it and oh, yeah. like especially and uh it's like a, it's like a long-term relationship it's like if you're mm -hmm. if you're playing guitar like super long time like your your fingers will start callousing up and just like it's, oh it's just I, I don't know. It's like the the scars of like the, the scars of life. I, mm -hmm. I I find the guitar just super poetic in that way. You know, and it's it's kind of it's kind of wild because I think people would refer to music or other forms of entertainment as they would call it as an escapism. Mm -hmm. You know, but but when i'm when i'm playing music i'm not escaping from reality i'm i'm diving deep into my soul and i'm i'm trying to let you know my reality in in ways i can't express to you with words you know what i mean mm -hmm. and so it's like all that all that emotion just shows and just comes out when you're playing so it's 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 really easy to say that you're communicating with me by showing all me your emotions you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah 
Um, and not to mention you, you know, all the fucking pain you get from the calluses, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> I, I split open the side of my uh, first finger. Uh, the other day I was recording a song and I was working on it for like three hours or so. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a lot of bar chords, right? So like the, the the pads of my finger, the tips of my fingers have already calloused up. They're already like, I can't feel a thing on them. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to get into it more. And now I'm working down to about the, where the joint is on your first finger, right. The first joint. Mm-hmm. And I split open the side of it the other day. Oh. And ooh, it's just like, when you're done playing, you don't really realize it when you're playing, but when I'm done playing, you know, I can hardly move it, you know, it's bleeding and I'm like, shit, you know, and the next day I could still see like the red flesh trying to heal. And I'm like, can I play in this state? So I try and then I'm like, oh, I can, you know, it feels, it actually feels better when I go back to playing and then you stop playing and it feels like shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your body's just getting used to like the, like your your form like when you're playing the guitar and it's like it what like your body's comfortable like when you're playing and then when you stop it's like why, why'd yeah. you stop it's like <laughs> like now i feel the pain from it go back right yeah you know it's like working out mm-hmm. you know you don't really feel sore until you're done yeah and then, and then you and then you go again and then you feel good and then it's just your body just uh, like just coming back coming back to earth <laughs> in a way uh you so I, I, I think you've, you've played like a couple of like live shows. Like what I, I know we're in COVID times and we haven't really mentioned that on, the, on this episode, but uh, like, what it, uh, like, what is your opinion of like live shows when you can play them? Like, well, they're great. I think, I think live shows are the best way to play music, mm-hmm. um, you know, because anything can happen. Mm-hmm um it's not streamlined most of the time it shouldn't be um i I think live music should be organic definitely and and if the musician is is feeling a certain way or they're they're feeling the crowd is a little more mellow you know they might improvise and 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 make an audible play Mm -hmm. to tour whatever whatever energy is in the air you know and when it comes to guitar players um you you always play something you always play a song different you never play you never want to play a song the same way twice you know mm-hmm. you always want to add a little more flavor when you're doing when you're live you you have all the liberty to do that mm-hmm. and um it, it's 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 weird too because my my few uh live experiences have been very different from each other mm-hmm. very different crowds i played in a bar um i think maybe it was like last October or last November mm-hmm. um, I was playing in this bar with this uh, hip-hop artist who asked me to be her guitar player she, she was kind of hip-hop she's kind of more R&B mm-hmm. um, and it, it was cool um, it, you know when you're the guitar player you catch people's ears you, you can so easily just make people turn their heads towards you you know because you make this big band you go into the big crazy solo and mm-hmm. you, you have this fat fuzz sound and it's so powerful you know it's it, it's really powerful but but the minute they start turning away um not listening to you you can definitely feel it and you really got to do your best to just like keep the energy up don't mm-hmm. don't let that be like oh shit no one's watching me anymore or 
there's not that many people in the crowd and, and you know you can't you got to really be uh appreciative and uh can't take for granted who's in the crowd you know yeah um i i'm really unfortunate i haven't seen you see, seen you play live I've, I've really wanted to but it just never worked out but i think live music is like my favorite way to consume music like i consume music pretty casually like i can i can I, like I groove with bands and I groove with artists, but it's hard for me to like kind of distinguish between like like different instruments and stuff like that. Like I can mm-hmm. get like a beat going, which is probably why I listen to a little bit more hip hop now. But uh, because I can like especially old school hip hop because like I like like the old school like hip hop beats. Uh, but I think live music is is definitely like the best way to. Cause it's just like, just the way, like, and like, especially like when you, when you go to a, a concert like Matt and Kim or like a band that just, uh, that is a, a showman out there, like mm-hmm. on stage, it's, I, like, I'll never, I'll never, uh, give it away for any, anything in the world. I, and I hope, uh, the near future we'll be able to experience these yeah, events. I'm sure we'll come back around eventually um mm-hmm. yeah live music is really special if you can get it right and mm-hmm. and even the the quote-unquote group i was with i don't think we had the best chemistry in the world i don't think our grooves were super groovy i was the only live instrument on on stage mm-hmm. so it was really it was really hard for me it was fun and easy for me to get up and say hell yeah i want to play guitar for you you know because mm-hmm. that's the that's the only thing i want to do right now is play guitar yeah but it, it's really weird because she had already had the backing track of the song with the other instruments up right and all of a sudden here's this live guitar playing and i have to sort of not compete but i have to work with the backing tracks that she has and my amp is already more powerful and that's a that's a whole learning experience and blending uh, in with live and blending in because it's it was really easy for me to be the showman and mm. i know she wanted me to be the showman but i just want to i just wanted to play music yeah I, I really wanted to play music with other people mm-hmm. um i'll never i'll never take for granted the experience that that uh, that artist gave me and allowed me to play for people but i don't think it's going to happen again just because we play too many other people's songs covers you know and and being the only instrument on stage it's kind of kind of sucks the soul out of you a little bit mm-hmm. yeah uh i i can definitely see how, how that how that could happen because like i've done this is a little a little bit of a segue but like i've done like a few like stand-up like shows like at a comedy club and i right. can see how it sucks the soul out of you if you when you go up there and yeah. you're the only one up there and everyone's oh, looking at wow. you and they're like hey uh make Stand me laugh up. or Stand cameron up, uh can you uh can you uh, for, um vibe with me like it's <laughs> <laughs> something like that i, I uh, totally understand that pressure and you know stand-up um comedians probably have more pressure mm-hmm. i don't because i mean i can't even imagine because you're the only one and you're only ever going to be the only one up there Mm -hmm. you kind of like the audience is kind of your bandmate you know Mm -hmm. Uh, i guess essentially you know with music it's not necessarily like a crutch 
but it's so much easier to have a bass player and a drummer to vibe with and be like, okay, these guys got this group going and I could definitely do this or do that. And being, being a stand-up comedian and you know, you're the one, oh, I, I can't even imagine what that was like. The, the lights beaming down on you, like the hot lights. And I'm just <laughs> and like, <laughs> I, I've only to... done it once for open mic and I'll never do that again. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Why not? It, it's, I, I, I don't know. It's, I think just at the, at the time, like my, my material just wasn't, I, I didn't think it was that good, but I, I figured I'll just go up there and just, cause there was hardly anyone at this open did mic. Did you like, um, did you get a little stage fright and maybe your, your show didn't go as expected or like when you're trying to tell a joke, you're like, Oh shit, I can't remember the joke now. It's like, or like it's, I can't remember the fucking punchline. It's it's not that it's just uh, I have like the it's I guess I would just describe it as a stage fright. I it's like I don't mind like getting up in front of people or just or talking to like right. hundreds of people like when I'm doing this podcast like that doesn't really bother me. It's the fact of just it, just isolation like isolating yourself as you walk up stage and you're the only one and it's like okay here we go and just like is is this gonna am i gonna get booed off the stage or something like that it's just i don't know i i like the i like the experience it's just i wouldn't i'm not uh like i totally have so much respect for for comedians and anyone that can get up there and uh get up there on stage and like perform Mm -hmm. it's uh it's just not my cup of tea so hell hey man it takes a lot of practice yeah and and you know once once you get that feeling of a crowd clapping for you or or like you know they felt what you felt and Mm -hmm. and and they you definitely won them over i'll tell you then then it becomes your cup of tea marley Mm -hmm. because when i when i did my first open mic shoot i hated it too i'm like i'm never coming back here i'm i'm never doing open mic again I'm not going to play in front of people. I'm just going to, I'm just going to grind down for six more years until I try it again. And then I'm kind of like, well, you know, that's not really how you progress or, or, or learn from it. But Mm -hmm. yeah, my, my first open mic, I I tried too hard to be, I tried too hard to, to play for the audience, you know, Mm -hmm. wasn't, I wasn't playing for myself. You know, I wasn't being me and definitely with a, stand-up comedian i don't know how much you could do that because you definitely need to make the crowd laugh yeah <laughs> you definitely <laughs> That's need, your one need goal. to understand the crowd you know yeah. but my my first open mic experience was terrible and I'll, I'll tell you about that oh, oh my god it's all coming back so there is this kava bar do you know what kava is like um this, this is it- root plant that they take and they extract it and they like juice it or whatever and it's like a really soothing kind of like asian tea it's not really tea but i want i want to say it's like kombucha i guess um it's it's it's, (laughs) there are some kava i guess that are like that but i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's kombucha kombucha and kava are usually always or if you sell kava somewhere you're definitely gonna find kombucha there okay um uh kombucha is like a fermented like sparkly drink mm-hmm. which is easy to drink kava kava is not so easy it's kind of like a thick milk um uh-huh. yeah, okay. right and, i'll have to try it <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to but there's not a lot of uh taste in the in the original one but it's cool it, it really mellows you down mm-hmm. 
you kind of keep it in your mouth for a little bit and then you swallow it and it kind of numbs your mouth. You kind of feel your, your lips get numb and your tongue gets a little numb and it kind of has a numbing, a really cool numbing effect. Kind of like a muscle relaxer, I guess. Yeah, is it, a, a little bit. Yeah. Um, definitely but, you'll have to look it up. But so I was at the Kava bar, right? And their whole thing was we're chill. We're, we're, we're really, me- it's called mellow, mellow Kava bar. Mm-hmm. And so clearly you can, sort of understand what kind of uh energy they try to go off of no okay that's cool oh they're like they're chill you know and yeah no they don't they don't clap for the artist they they do the the golf they do the golf clap they like do the little they they rub their thumbs on their fingers or pinkies they rub their pinkies together stupidest thing i've ever seen so um i i wanted to bring up my acoustic guitar and I was there the week before, and someone who, uh, someone played the song "Hey Joe" by Hendrix, and he really went into it. It was really dirty, and it was really rough, but I loved it because he did. He he was really feeling it. I'm like, I want to do that. I want to give my own rendition of "Hey Joe" because because even "Hey Joe" is a cover song. Hen- Hendrix covered. I forgot who who actually wrote it, but it, we all know it as a H- Hendrix song. But Hendrix didn't write it. So I'm like, all right, I, I kind of want to fulfill that that sort of thing that artists do and i went back and i i was the first one to i even i i went to the kava bar like a week before the open mic and i said hey how do i get in the list for open mic and they told me to contact the dude that hosts it so i did and i was the first one to message him and he's like yeah dude you're the first one to message me you of course you're gonna get a spot right so i show up to the event and he forgot he forgot about me right so i'm like oh you know kind of roll my eyes and for the first hour to hour and a half, the set's electric. Then they go acoustic because they live under apartments. So for, mm-hmm. for uh, they don't want to get fined for making too much noise, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which they have before, so which is totally fine. But I told them I wanted to be a, a electric. Even though my guitar was acoustic, it still had a, a preamp in it so you could plug it in. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to use the microphone to amplify my voice so I wasn't yelling over my guitar right Mm -hmm. Uh, or i wasn't trying to play my guitar over my voice right um all like like three of my friends came and they all invited one of their friends so there's already a little pressure building up for me that i kind of have to perform well for my friends Mm -hmm. not only the audience right and then and the dude like told me i will get the last electric spot and i'm like i'm like all right cool you know so i was a little worried uh about it and when my when my spot came up um i'm I w- like he kind of almost forgot about me again i kind of had to like step up and be like oh yeah right cameron's up now <laughs> and um so i'm like shit you know i already kind of feel like i know how this is gonna go um i step on stage and the dude's like we don't want to do electric anymore it's getting too late and, and I'm like, oh, and I just like, I put my foot down. I'm like, dude, are you serious, man? I was the first one to email you. I came to this place a week in advance and like, I'm the first one here and everything. And you're not going to give me what I want. I know I had an acoustic guitar with me, but I, I asked for electric. He's like, all right, all right, all right. You're right. And the owner, the owner was kind of like looking at him and looking at me and he was kind of like looking at the host, like get this shit settled, you know? Mm-hmm. and um so he's like i'll just you know he just humored me and he gave me the chord he let me play and and 
Oof, man, was I was playing so terrible. Uh, like, it was crazy because I spent, like, the whole day rehearsing the song, mm-hmm. trying to sing it. And once I got on stage and stood up and it was, everyone was, like, looking at me and all of a sudden, like, holy fuck, <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> it's like, what, 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 I play guitar? Right. <laughs> um, and it's like, I, I didn't think I had stage fright. I never had stage fright, you know? I, I love playing for people. <laughs> and I always play for people at chill parties, but I never, like, got up on a stage for an open mic night. And so I'm like, I started playing the song, and halfway through, I kind of messed up the rhythm. And I'm like, oh, shit, you know? And I kind of, like, paused and stopped, and, and I kept going, and I dropped my pick even, and, and I, like... I'm like oh shit so i like kind of leaned over to like pick it up and you know that scene in uh, a star is born when he he was drunk on stage at the grammys yeah he, he drops his pick mm-hmm. that's exactly like how oh I, my God. <laughs> I was like oh shit everyone's just like looking at me like what the fuck <laughs> and, and then and then i i end the song and and uh everyone everyone was kind of like oh he's done so they kind of like sort of okay i guess they're doing that weird awkward clap like i guess we gotta clap now right i'll like, support this guy and then <laughs> part way through the performance too i was like i i was getting getting angry so like i really went in for an aggressive strike on the strings and the dude the the dude came over the host came over and totally turned down the uh the pa system mm-hmm. and i was just like oh man and and then so I they gave me two songs, right? And on the second song, uh, the dude turned turned it off. He just the own, the owner actually came up to me. He's like, "Hey, man, I hate to be the asshole, but we're gonna turn you off and make you go acoustic." So all right, whatever. At least they gave me one song. Mm-hmm. And then and then I tried playing Little Wing, and sort of the same thing happened. And and I, oh man, you know, it was so embarrassing, and like i even kind of like looked over at my friends while i was doing it and they kind of like they're kind of like yeah yeah you're doing all right man you're, you're doing good <laughs> right <laughs> they're they're just like yeah oh. sure you're doing fine and they're just kind of doing the, the, the golf yeah, clap like... <laughs> no it was terrible um, yeah. but you know i'll never have an experience or i'll i, I know what not to do now um, yeah i I think that that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like, I, f- I feel like it's important to have experiences like that. Like I, I forget what jokes that I, I made on that, <laughs> on that open mic that I had. Uh, I won't repeat if I, even if I did, I won't repeat them here because <laughs> I don't want to uh, just, I don't want to torture people. But <laughs> I think the important thing to just take back, like the moral of the story is that uh I guess the um, there's nowhere to go but up. Exactly. Like you can't get any lower than exactly. that. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> and once uh, you've experienced that, even if you do go through a low point again, you know exactly how to get out of it. Granted, mm-hmm. you've gotten out of it before. I went back the very next week, and I didn't invite any of my friends. I didn't ask for electric. I didn't. I didn't hardly do anything. I just showed up with my guitar. I didn't even have a song I rehearsed. I was just playing music all day, music that I liked, music that I loved. And usually when I'm playing, like I'm, I'm learning a song, I'll, I'll steal chords or I'll let it influence me to sort of jam into another groove, you know, mm-hmm. that's original. And that's exactly what I did. 
And you know what? The second that that night I went there, people loved me. And I, and I really felt it. It was an incredible experience. I sat down instead of standing up. I finger picked. I kind of hybrid picked where I use a pick and then I kind of use my fingers at the same time. And there was a point where I just really got into it. I really, I closed my eyes and I was like shaking my head to the rhythm. And mm -hmm. I was thinking that I was playing with Flea and Chad Smith and John Frusciante. And, and mm -hmm. I wasn't at, at the Cobble Bar. I was somewhere else, you know? And then when I was done, I actually cut open my uh, strumming hand because I would strum with my, the, like right before the the flesh right next to your nail you know mm -hmm. i still have blisters because i i do that pretty regularly yeah um after i was done playing people were loved it and people were like like actually like clapping like actually clapping for me mm -hmm. and they were like whoa you know that was fucking great and and like i left the stage and there were other artists like walking up to me and telling me hey you sound like like this dude you should check him out or like you sound fucking great and you know and like the host came up to me and was like complete transformation from last week <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I think that like especially when you said complete transformation that like the host that that shows you uh it it showed the to the host that like you you don't want to give up like if exactly. you would have if you would have just said like oh i'm done with this i guess i can't play music anymore like now that uh, now that host says like, oh wow, he's actually, uh, he, he's actually dedicated, and you can get like a, a another gig from him. Hopefully, uh, hopefully yeah. when it's over. I mean, I don't know if if I'd go back there, because mm -hmm. um, I think I did learn, you know, from from the experience of learning and playing in front of a stage. I also kind of learned that maybe that environment's not for me. Mm -hmm. um, I can play chill, and I could play quietly but i, I kind of want to play loud now you know mm -hmm. i want to play with a bass player that slaps it and i want to rip over a huge solo and i can't do that at a at a chill kava kava bar that has you know sound limits you know yeah and mm -hmm. everyone golf claps or does that it's before my set uh I, I would go back there regularly just to watch the open mics mm -hmm. someone played blackbird by the beatles mm -hmm. and um like at the same time I was I was practicing that song at home I'm like oh hey you know it's kind of cool seeing another musician play a song I'm trying to learn mm -hmm. and he was done and I thought he killed it I thought he fucking killed it everyone was doing that stupid golf clap and I and I, I went into it with my <laughs> I, I cupped my hands and everything so I was trying to like really make it loud and yeah. dude, dude next to me looked at me like and kind of like in a disgust like why are you clapping so loud and I'm just thinking to myself what I can't I can't clap loud for this dude who I thought fucking killed it, you know? And and I just don't think I'd go back there for the open mic. Yeah, I, I think that's, you bring up a, like an interesting point too, is like when it's just, when is it socially acceptable to just, to to clap like during like an open mic or even just like it, when you're in like a, like you said, like a chill, like Cavo bar, uh, like. You got to know your surroundings, you know? Yeah, but it's like, it's, I was I was I was you know in the moment and I loved it but I hadn't I'm not wasn't a regular at this bar and mm -hmm. there were there were already clicks at this bar like I tr I tried stepping into some conversations and people were like oh we're all <laughs> we're all regulars here who come here pretty daily or like daily and we've been performing at these open mics since like forever ago you know so they get kind of pretentious 
mm-hmm. and you know and when a, a, a click turns into a click it's it's you know you they get judgmental unfair. yeah and it's my way or the highway kind of thing you know if you're not kind of like them it's a little it's, it's a kind of an exclusive group you know because you weren't with us from the beginning you can't be you can't be a part of us you know what i mean see that's that's where i am <laughs> that's where i disagree with those types types of people i feel like like even even if you like it, it jump in late on a, like a trend or even like a band it's like i feel like you shouldn't necessarily get judged yeah. it's like there's multiple times when i'm listening to an artist and i'm late to to join in on the artist and people are always like oh why are you listening to them now they suck right now and i'm like uh I, I like I, I just you now like discovered them. the band. I'm like yeah, you, I like them. You shouldn't be like, ashamed for yeah. Yeah, it's it's super it's super super weird line to like cross with uh, with those type of people, but it's you don't want to be a gatekeeper. Yeah, just don't be a gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been there. I've been there too. You know, with uh, Raider fans in particular. and maybe some chili pepper fans but hey i didn't really start to love the chili peppers until like three years ago but now if you if you talk to me now about them someone would think i'm a lifelong fan just because i know everything about the band Mm -hmm. i feel like that's most important it's i feel like it like a true fan will listen to like one album and they're like oh i like that i like i like the style and i like uh i like their sound and then you go explore like more of their more of their music and mm-hmm. do a deep dive on them, uh, uh, and just uh, know and know the ins and outs of like this band instead of like someone that just kind of listens to like an album like every single time it comes out and doesn't really get any from it get anything from it. And as for someone that like uh, like I listen to music casually, but I enjoy the progression of someone's like career of like. Right. I think Lincoln Park is the perfect uh is the perfect like example of that like they started out hard and they moved into pop but I find like that progression like super interesting and fascinating because I'm sure as an artist for uh, uh as an artist uh like you is that you don't want to play the same uh same stuff like over and over again right uh, I'm also not expected to play the same stuff Mm-hmm. you know i haven't recorded any hit singles or anything mm-hmm. so i also get the privilege of uh being a nobody or being an unknown more like you know mm-hmm. i'm not a nobody i'm kind of a somebody you know uh somebody go clean the toilets that kind of somebody yeah yeah <laughs> um at work I, yeah <laughs> i just i don't know i just i i appreciate the progression and i know uh, like I would hate to be a, like a band like Smash Mouth that is, <laughs> that, that well that I would hate to be them anyways every concert yeah I hate to be them anyways but it's like they're just known for All Star it's like exactly like it's like they're just the All Star band and the the meme band it's like I I I love that they're buying into it now that that they're just kind of like the joke band but it's just uh I don't know I would hate to be that, that one hit wonder guy that just everyone was just yeah but what do you think about that it'd be yeah no i mean there there's definitely a lot to say um mm-hmm. about uh artists that make massive hits and all of a sudden their their fans increase sevenfold you know mm-hmm. and and 
all those new fans are 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 there because of maybe a particular song or a particular album and all of a sudden you're yeah you're you're gonna play that you're also gonna be expected to play that and of, of course you're gonna love playing it for the first year probably but somewhere down the line you you're probably gonna change mm-hmm. you know you're humans are a, a changing thing um or at least you should be um you know if if I'd, I'd rather be a, a hypocrite than someone who stays the same his whole life. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because if I'm a hypocrite, at least I'm changing. I'm, You're evolving. Kind of, hypocrite's kind of a, a negative term. Maybe hypocrites are known. What I'm trying to say is, uh, you know, it's important to evolve and important to change mm-hmm. and, and look back on your life and and, and evaluate it and, and um, what say what you can do different. So, you know, a lot of artists try new things and and i'm sure when you go to a, a kid cuddy concert when he was doing speeding bullet to heaven and all you want to hear is man on the moon stuff well you know you might be disappointed uh but you have you have to understand where the artist is in his life mm-hmm. you know and, and uh granted he did play pursuit of happiness and day and night at those concerts he still played more speeding bullet to heaven um, mm-hmm. songs than anything because that's what he made and that's what he that's how he was feeling you know so it, it's it's weird it's a weird industry it kind of scares me from from not like I want to be famous or anything but uh, you know studios probably sign bands expecting them to make hits and then you know they, they milk them out and they didn't get a hit and you know say goodbye to your band and you know, uh, it's weird. It, it's it, it's weird. Well, it's definitely like you mentioned studios. There is that it, it's like the the constant like uh, the the constant thro- uh, drive to like create a hit is definitely like like meddled by the studio the studio system because if you look at someone like Chance the Rapper, that like Ugh. like he I, I know that's a t- this is a touchy subject. <laughs> for you it's not touchy it's it's it like he he self-published like the his first three albums was it mixtapes up you know yeah eps mixtapes uh call it for the first three years of his career right uh more than three years it was more like the first three albums right there was 10 day there were two there were two mixtapes before 10 day that didn't really get big. Mm-hmm. Um, he took some of those songs and put it on. Ten Day was his first full-length album, um, but it wasn't a studio album, so it was a mixtape. Mm-hmm. And then there was Acid Rap, and then he, you know, Acid Rap really blew him up. And he did uh, he did Surf after Acid Rap, and then he did Coloring Book um, after Surf. Mm-hmm. So Surf was like a collaboration project. So you could say he did like four albums before he did uh, Big Day, before he actually signed. Yeah, uh, and I, which you is can like def- seven years, I think. Yeah, it's just you. You can just definitely tell like the difference between like who he is as a as a person and the, how the studio is selling him, and like like he's on punk now and just like i don't know he's punk. He, what punked 
He, well, oh, he's on that Clippy oh, show. Oh, yeah. And just, like, the way they're, like, selling him as, like, a person, I feel like it, like, I, I'm always someone, but, like, even, the, like, when it comes to movies, like, the studio system there and, like, the studio system and, like, I think the music industry is a little bit more toxic than the film, uh, than yep. the movie studios. But it's just, I, I, I wish that corporations and, like, these big wigs would just let artists create because that's 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 all we want as like humans we just want like like we want we, we we like an artist we like their stuff and we want uh we want to see what they have to say or see what they draw up see what they write up it's like we we don't want like all these like com- we don't want it commercialized we don't um, want cookie cutter pop artists yeah every, every time that sound the same i don't know um how you got that from from chance but uh i see well, what you're it, saying it, it's just i don't know i just feel like the stuff that he he's making now it's just very yeah uh, it's it, it's watered down yeah and uh streamlined mm-hmm. and that's how it feels i i i kind of um, i i believe that chance is doing everything under his own power Mm-hmm. you know in the way his vision wants it to be um yeah i'm not into his his new music anymore mm-hmm. but I, I don't know if it's because he's being washed down by a studio you know because he he made a successful career without studios mm-hmm. so he definitely came in probably telling the studio that this is how we do it we do it my way but it, it's it's hard to see it like that because his music has changed mm-hmm. and i respect it and I can respect Chance for doing that, you know, because I love it when other artists do it. I just don't like his, his it's, and it's okay to, to not like, you know, one of your favorite artists' music. Mm-hmm. I liked, I love Chance the Rapper, but I don't, I don't love his newer music, mainly because, you know, he's changed. He has a kid. He's a family guy now. He's definitely a lot more religious, mm-hmm. or, or he expresses it more lately, and, um, He's probably not doing acid anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's probably you know I mean? not. <laughs> and he's older too. He's like, he's like a couple years older than I am. He's probably close, close to your age, maybe older. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, he's probably growing out of his young adolescent uh, sort of wild phase. And and we're, I, not, we're not going to see that crazy flow and those crazy bars on every single song because, well, I mean, yeah, he's not doing acid anymore for one. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I think the like to kind of uh contradict what i just said was that we 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 grow fond of like artists and we don't really want them to sell out but like when they do make it like chance did it's kind of like like a little part of us is is like happy that he sold out just because it's like yeah he's because he he went and got that bread yeah it's like he has a kid he's got a family now he can't be he can't be sleeping out of a camper like sleeping out of a, a one bedroom apartment just making music like all day he's got a like like a family to support like like you, right. you gotta go get and that alternatively <laughs> that's how it, that's how his what his music is doing mm-hmm. is supporting his family so of course yeah you know you have the you have the opportunity to sign with a label and not only that but to my knowledge i think he's doing it yeah under his terms so when you can do that and do it under your terms do it how you want you know, because he's done it without it for so long. Mm-hmm. He's he's success. Yeah, that's that's a a great sign of success right there. 
he's yeah. a great he's a great role model you know he, he's For- a great person I just, I just don't listen to him anymore. Yeah, right. I listen to, I listen to acid rap in ten day occasionally. Mm-hmm. I uh, think acid rap's my favorite out of out of his. Uh, acid rap was incredible. I can't tell you how many songs I would listen to on. I would listen to the album on loop and just try to rap with along with him. I would try to like know all the songs. I was one of those guys that whenever I went to see him live, I tried to get as close as I can. And I was singing all the lyrics, all the lyrics, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he loved, he, he loved that and acknowledged us for sure. Uh, but personally, I think Surf has been the most influential album he's been a part of to me. Mm-hmm. There's something about that album that just really puts me to a certain place in my life. And, you know, it's, nost- it's, it's not only nostalgic, but it's like, uh, it's just it's it's very spiritual album and i think it it goes past just hip-hop and rap and kind of takes from jazz from r&b and from blues to that's that's why i like it so much i feel like uh the the way you like change the rapper is kind of with i feel like i like childish gambino or donald lover just because i remember like when he released uh like the two mixtapes i think he released them on twitter and uh like he literally like recorded like he 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 took a picture on twitter of him like recording this on his macbook and i forget what that what that uh what that mixtape was called i don't think it was camp i think some songs from camp were were on there but i don't know i just i think with with like the rise of like twitter and like social media i think social media is like can be super dangerous as we seen in 2020 so far but i think the way the artists like use that to like show like like to see like how like they start and stuff like that mm-hmm. whether like a let some of that probably could be manufactured too but i don't know i just appreciated like having that connection like from from the beginning with childish gambino it's mm-hmm. Uh, and just seeing Donald Glover like on Community, and I remember like, uh, I remember like pulling up like that mixtape, and I was like, I was like, funny person raps. I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, pretty, it, it's it's really cool to see artists do that. You're known for being a, a particular, you know, you're you you know them doing a particular type of art, and then they step into a different branch, and then mm-hmm. they succeed at that one too, and all of a sudden they get two groups of fans you know you get a donald glover community fans and then you get the childish gambino rap fans and on top of that you probably have a a mixed bag of his music fans as well right Uh, that and it's like it it kind of reminds me of the movie uh star is born Mm -hmm. um lady gaga acting Mm -hmm. and bradley cooper singing and uh you know made in for one heck of a movie i don't i don't think the movie uh, when i when i rewatch it it's not like the movie has some has has great writing elements in it or the screenplay is fantastic it, it's definitely flawed <laughs> it, it it really is the the emotion in the music and in how the characters are connected with the lyrics and connected with each other that really is is just really powerful mm-hmm. and i can't say it's one of my favorite movies of, I mean it's hard not to say but I can't it's not like I could put it in my top five mm-hmm. but it has been a, a pretty influential movie 
in my life just because like holy shit the the powers and emotions and yeah it's music related and i could definitely relate to it too yeah i i, I like star is born too i feel like the first 30 minutes of star is born is better than the last 30 minutes it's like one of those where but because I, I kind of I kind of fell off a little bit, but I I like that you said that it's very influential. Are there any other movies that are influential, like in like your life yeah. or your career? I think. Uh, hmm. When I think about that, um, a few movies come to mind, like like uh, Birdman, um, The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Mm-hmm. It's probably the movie I, I go to. I like people. that you said the full title. No one, no one says the full title. But go, no. continue. Sorry. Because, yeah. No. Whenever I say Birdman, no one knows what I'm talking about until mm-hmm. I say the subtitle. Usually, um, when I was a kid, I watched the shit out of Star Wars and Back to the Future, and I, I definitely think uh, those movies are huge for me. But like growing up and maturing and getting getting my my current taste. Well, I mean, yeah, Back to the Future and Star Wars definitely, definitely did that. You know, it's probably a big reason why I love Marvel movies too, but I love dramas. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about that earlier and I was like, what's the, what was like the first movie in my life that really moved me into like appreciating the art of cinema and not just enjoying like lightsaber battles, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and, I, and I can't, I think it was either pulp fiction pulp fiction was one of them um mm-hmm. i can't i don't i'm trying to like think of any other ones but it, nothing else comes to my mind um i mean the quentin tarantino movies yeah mm-hmm. pulp, pulp fiction and Django are probably up there too yeah what about I, you i i've, I've... I, I would have to counter you on that one with the whole Back to the Future. Back to the Future, the first time I, I saw the first Back to the Future, I remember I, I remember it specifically. Like, I was sitting on the couch with my brother, and my brother, like, he popped in Back to the Future because, he, like, he's older than me, and he's he's seen it before, and he knew I would like it. And I remember just sitting there on that couch just completely in awe of everything. And just, like, and I remember, like, when it was all done, I was like, I want to do this like uh like a, a, as a career i want to make movies as a career just seeing such a good movie that it, it's it's such a good movie it's such a good trilogy too i i still go back like to the yeah the, the third, original the third because, one's kind of kind of uh it, the third one's it's, not it's good bad. it's not it's, bad yeah <laughs> it's 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 just, I don't know. It's definitely the weakest. Yeah. Out of all, but it's a I little st- weird. I still enjoy it. I think. Of course, of course, I, me I, too. I like seeing Doc you, in the Old West. I yeah. like. I like seeing Mad like, Dog Tannen. Yeah, Mad Dog. <laughs> I like um, seeing his like like, like the yeah. guns he makes too. Oh yeah, yeah. And just like all the technology that he's like introducing to like the eighteen right, hundreds. Yeah. And like, do you, do you remember the scene of, of in Back to the Future Three where he shows Marty the the ice machine, mm-hmm. and it's like it's this really long process <laughs> and of like, and, and it's like one little thing of ice cube, and it's like brown because it's the 1800s and their water mm-hmm. is like shit. I don't know. I just think the, the little uh, stuff that Doc makes that uh, it, it's 
all the little t- um, inventions that he makes. Are, Did you know so great. the third one was uh, filmed in parts of Sonora? Yeah, it was filmed in Jamestown. Yep, yep. And uh, uh, the I actually uh, know the baby that pees on on uh, oh, wow. um, Marty Michael J. Fox, yeah. and uh, her, her name's uh, Sadie Marinovich. So hey, nice. My they took the the uh, Western DeLorean into my dad's mechanic shop and oh, wow. to get it worked on. Uh-huh. My dad never got to meet Michael J. Fox or, or Doc Brown or anybody, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, he saw the DeLorean that was used in the film. You mm-hmm. know, he installed a couple pieces in it and did some work on it. And we have that picture, like, framed in our, in our hallway. That's so, super cool. <laughs> there's definitely some sentimental value beyond like just enjoying the movie with with back to the future yeah i i think like back to the future is like the first movie especially like for me is like it's that first blockbuster the first oh yeah like monumental just like like trilogy of movies that like you couldn't wait to see it like uh next summer which mm-hmm. is funny because if you look at the uh like the history of that like when they first made back to the future they weren't no they didn't know that they're gonna have a hit like michael j fox was even supposed to be marty it's like yeah he got recasted yeah uh but i don't know i just think it it just was learning more about like just doing a deep dive on back to the future like about a couple of years ago just it makes me appreciate the movie even more and there's a lot of uh uh attention to details with that movie Mm -hmm. you know the even though it's only three movies but it was like what the 80s and and their continuity between all three films was on point Mm -hmm. and and you know it was kind of an innovating movie my personal favorite is number two you know i love one number three is fun to watch but number two is probably my favorite i think like I, i if i were to rank them i would go one three two just because i think like i like two it's just it it, i don't know i feel like there there's a lot of holes there and and i I feel like because i i know that they filmed two and three like back to back and i feel like when you do movies uh that way it kind of it suffers sometimes it suffers the quality not saying that they're a bad movie i just think I just like the old west, and I think uh, uh, I don't. I don't know. It, I'm kind of walking myself out out of that one a little bit, but uh, it's just uh, I don't know. I think what they did with the characters in three, uh, I liked a little bit more of, of giving Doc a, a relationship. You never really like you seen Marty with uh, yeah. uh, uh, what's her name, his girlfriend. I honestly forget, but uh, but you see, like you, you know, Marty is like he's he's the main guy. Like you expect him to get like the love interest, but to see like Doc emotional and kind of not wanting to go back with Marty and just say, "Hey, I want to stay in the Old West." This is this is yep. This, I I don't know. I find that, that was emotional. I found that yeah. really strong and powerful, especially since you spent like. Uh, like two movies with these characters and like these yeah. guys are supposed to be together uh but... it's a good send-off they they capped off the trilogy pretty good yeah you know it, it kind of does some you know stereotypical cinema tropes in it but 
mm-hmm. you can accept it for what it is. Yeah, for sure. Great. Uh, but what, what were you going to say about two? Oh, I really liked uh, the alternate universe when they go back to their, when they think they're going back to their original timeline. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden Biff is like married to his mom, owns this hotel and the whole town is in like chaos. So that that blew my mind when I was a kid, that sort of concept. I, I love the reaction of Michael J. Fox's face or Marty's face when, mm-hmm. when he sees his mom. I, I, I love that they, that, that they match cut that perfectly between the first and the second movie where he wakes up and and they always say like, oh, Marty, you're fine. It, uh, I had this weird dream. Yeah, right. And and then he looks at her and he's like, Mom, Mom, Mom you're so big. <laughs> big. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's that line gets me every single time. <laughs> like I can't even like imagine like like waking up and like my mom is like this. Uh, I would I I wouldn't say prostitute in that in in that term i don't think she was wow. something like that in, wow, in back to the future you said, too. It. You said it though you <laughs> just said it is she well i don't know it's it she was just biff's bimbo yeah biff, yeah biff's bimbo for sure is, is that any, any better word. is that any, any better? uh yeah i mean i'd rather be a well, i don't know i don't know actually maybe you're right it's about the same as so a, yeah well we don't have to get into that yeah <laughs> yeah exactly but uh but back to the future that's it back yeah i always tell people when uh, when they ask me like what made me want to start like working in like the film industry or like wanting to work in the film industry is i always go back to back to the future it like, was every it really? time i never knew that about you hmm? i never i never knew that uh you did that. that or I mean, that uh, that movie was uh, as influential to you as it was for me. Yeah, it's it's so it was so influential because like I I just loved like the editing and stuff like that. That's where the first movie where I just discovered editing and just how everything was cut together and how it flowed. And I, I, the movie is like almost two hours long, and it just it it blows by. by. It yeah, blows by right. like every yeah. single one of them right yeah um when i was a kid i wanted to make films too mm-hmm. i think i think uh back to the future it was uh, uh definitely a part of that but yeah. for me it was just the 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 awe in the screenplay and the the time traveling and uh, alternate universes and uh and doc brown is an incredible character i love yeah that. i I've honestly forget also, johnny be good it's kind of like crazy to, to think how uh uh, that's such an iconic scene mm-hmm. and then how it is that movie is powered by music i loved the uh huey lewis in the news mm-hmm. after i after i watched back to the future for the first time my grandma was also a huey lewis in the news fan mm-hmm. and she had some of their records and she let me take a cd home and i would just listen to huey lewis imagining i was marty mcfly and then i would go and play chuck berry's johnny be good you know mm-hmm. for a bunch of people who had never heard it before yeah and and it's kind of it's kind of crazy being a guitar player and musician now thinking how that that may have subconsciously you know affected you affected me yeah yeah i think my favorite scene from that one like just because like while we're talking about this i keep thinking of like lines from that movie they're just so iconic 
I, I love when Marty is just rocking out playing Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. And then Marvin Berry, who's playing at the, yeah. the uh, fish under, is it the fish under the sea dance or enchantment under the sea dance? Uh, I think it's enchantment under the sea. Yeah. Uh, and Marvin calls his brother Chuck and he was like, yeah. hey, it's your brother, Marvin Berry. No, it's <laughs> and, you, yeah, yeah. It, I, I don't know. I just, it's, it's stuff like that. Uh, I, I like those connections. They go, they go back to that very scene in number two. Yeah. And he, he has to like tightrope above it. And, mm-hmm. and that, like that sort of continuity mm-hmm. blew me away. I think that's why I really, really was hyped up for Endgame. Um, mm-hmm. Because I definitely saw leaks of them in their uh, Avenger, their white and red suits. And I'm like, time travel. That's time travel. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I just... There's not like, enough time travel in in cinema. We need more. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's especially now. Like, there's hardly like, like if I think the movie that that comes to mind like right now is uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. Mm-hmm. That was that. It, it, it's still really good. Uh, not sure if I like the director as, as as much anymore now, just because he's kind of a douche. But who's that? It's uh, the guy that did Jurassic World. Oh. Yeah, and he also did that really, really bad movie uh, with uh, Jacob Tremblay. Um, what's what movie is it? Help me out with that. It's, I don't uh, know, man. I don't. I don't remember all the movies anymore. I've been, I've been desensitized by working at the theater. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I have to look this up like off off the pod, and then I'll post it in the description. But it, it's. Uh, I don't. It's. Um, that that guy just I think he 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 got uh, like he got his money and he just kind of like I'm just gonna make whatever I, whatever the hell I want and uh, I don't care if it's good or not so it's like uh, yeah uh, which I respect it's like I feel like any like like a director like the Russo brothers like they make their Endgame but they yeah. also couldn't go make Twenty One Bridges something that like n- isn't necessarily critically loved but this is probably what they wanted to make. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, Ryan Johnson probably could be thrown in that mm-hmm. um, bag too. Yeah. Ryan Johnson's super influential for me. I, I have, I, what, I think. What did he do before Star Wars in Looper? He did Brick. Brick was his first feature that he ever made. Uh, he made it for $500,000, which wow. the listeners are probably like saying like 500,000. That's a lot of money. Not for, um, movie. not for movies, but uh, that uh, that had uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it too. Uh, I really like Brick, and he also did Brothers Bloom. Uh, that's probably his most hated film, but I still like that sure? one. Hmm? Are you sure it's not Last Jedi? I like Last Jedi, and yeah, I but, know but, in uh, my circle, there's plenty of people that do like Last Jedi. I don't want to get on the, a, a freaking bandwagon. And, and, a, I'm just saying there's a big, big part of Star Wars fans that don't like it. I understand that, but it's like, I... If there's any movie I have a strong opinion about, it's Star Last, Wars. Last it's not, it not, not like, It's just Star Wars, period. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people are, are with me there. Yeah, you know? it's especially ever since disney bought it too uh people have been skeptical I don't, about i don't i don't like the disney i don't i mean i just don't like the new trilogy the sequels 
because I think it's too Disney. I think Disney's trying to fulfill their, you know, their status quo mm-hmm. of being a, a mainstreamed family movie, you know? And I think they, they're trying too hard and they're taking away elements from the, the older one, the, yeah, the, the original movies and even the prequels. You know, the prequels were their own thing, but they still were, are Star Wars movies to me. For mm-hmm. one, because George Lucas understands the energy, you know, at mm-hmm. least even though that the the prequels had laughable screenplays, they still are light and dark in the right moments where they need to be, and they still have great character development and good movement. Not as good movement as the original ones. Um, the original movies was it's like watching a play. You know, with all the blocking that they do, with all the the character, you know, where they where they place everything, you know, and it's kind of like Shakespeare as well, you know, hearing the dialogue and you know, there's art in that. And with the sequels, I feel like they take away they 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 try to make it too happy and uppity and happy ending and optimistic. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, it's I, not a, like like jazz is jazz because it's got it's got these major emphasis and major notes and it's got these minor stuff too. You know, they mix it together and it's melancholy or melancholy and Mm -hmm. and it's a mixture of both. And, you know, and I I think, I think by trying to streamline and mainstream star Wars, they're, they're taking away the darker elements and they're, they're not making it melancholy anymore or, you know, however you pronounce it. And I don't think it's star Wars to me anymore then. It's just it's just Disney trying to be Star Wars. Well, if, if I would, if I'm playing armchair film critic right now, uh, what I what I got from this new trilogy of Star Wars is that I never really saw a, a single direction, like from from seven through nine, because I understand J.J. Abrams' bookend, like seven and nine. But like Ryan Johnson came in there and like I've listened to multiple interviews with him. Like they never gave him any direction. They kind of gave him kind of free reign to do whatever he wanted. He threw out the script. Yeah. That's... He threw out the script and made his own. And I, I respect him for that. Yeah. I respect him for high, that in too. In hindsight, seven and nine aren't great scripts either. Yeah. They're, they're not good scripts at all. But, uh, but I, I feel like that's on like Kathleen Kennedy and Disney for yeah. not uh, allowing like like I feel like they tried to make like this is Star Wars's MCU. Uh yeah. but what they forgot about that which is weird because they own Marvel too so it seems like they would like Kevin Feige would give them pointers on that. Like Kevin Feige knew I I knew he he knew how this was going to end uh when the first Iron Man came out. He knew how he wanted to develop these characters. Yeah, granted, I don't think he knew everything. I don't. Um, th- I don't think he knew everything, but I. I think he it was kind of like we're gonna do this, and and if we can push it forward, I have ideas. Yeah, you know? it's but it's not like with Star Wars. It's like oh, well, the first yeah, one was Star- good, so we we'll get this young and up and coming director to just kind of do whatever he wants, and then we'll see where that goes. Perhaps it, they were trying to get you know they were trying to change it up and they weren't trying to put everything in the vacuum of jj abrams mind you know Mm -hmm. and that 
which I can respect. And I really thought Last Jedi was going to be an incredible film because, you know, you thought that they were shadowing New Hope with Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, okay. George Lucas didn't direct Empire. So, you know, when they announced Ryan was directing Last Jedi, I'm like, oh, they're doing the same thing that the originals were doing. You know, they have a whole mm-hmm. team on it. Of course, it's going to be optimistic. They were all saying it's going to be a darker film, which it tries to be, but it doesn't give me a dark tone. It does. I don't, I don't ever feel like there's anything at stake. Um, I don't feel like the motives are clear. And I don't feel like we grow as an audience with the main characters. Uh, yeah, but you know, I've said it before to you. In hindsight, too, Last Jedi is probably the best one uh, out of the three. It it definitely is when it stands alone by itself. Yeah, uh, that's. I it, feel like it has no. There's no. It's not coherent at all with Force Awakens or uh, the what's the last one called? Uh, last Skywalker. The Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. See, I feel like this is the problem with a lot of like big movies and like big trilogies like uh, like in the last couple of years not and counting like the MCU because the MCU is the perfect uh, example is that the MCU like all of those movies will hold up on their own like yeah they connect and they connect to this big final uh, finale after like 10 years of like building up to it and it just ends perfectly uh, but all these I, th- I feel like with the rise of like Netflix shows and like binge binge culture, like audiences are looking for more of they're, they're looking for like cliffhangers. They yeah. want they, they 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 want it to continue. They want they want movies the movies to keep t- to to continue. But I feel like the strongest movies like that are in a trilogy that they they'll stand on their own. Like we'll go back to Back to the Future. Back to the Future. If it wasn't a trilogy. Like the first one will stand on its own. It's still a good movie, but and the second one, well, you know, probably. But yeah, it's yeah. It, I guess but, if they didn't make two or three, Back to the Future is still a really solid movie. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's not like uh, Force it, Awakens kind of relies on the fact that there were Star Wars movies before it, and then there are going to be Star Wars movies after it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I left the theater after seeing Force Awakens, I was kind of just like, all right, I'm, I want more. Now I'm waiting for more. You know, like I wasn't. It's a brand. Star Wars yeah. is a brand, not yeah. uh, exactly. not a film, uh, which it's been that, that way. It's just, I feel it like as much I feel as. like it just, just became that way after. Well, I mean, perhaps, you know, the animated series, you know, and all the books and all the additional lore outside of the cinema. Mm-hmm. push it push it towards the brand too not to mention the the, the toys are really what made it a brand mm-hmm. the, the action figures you know um but yeah yeah they, they're trying to brand it yeah i just feel like as much as everyone hates the prequels i uh, like you hit well, this we on love the them head. now <laughs> yeah you, you you hit this on the head like perfectly is that george lucas like he knew what he wanted to do with like like the series like just because four five and six was like these epics like space operas and everyone loved every single everything about him right it doesn't mean that george lucas like he didn't see him like that like uh like we don't we we 
I feel like uh, as fans and like audience members, we, we feel like we we know like a director like super well yeah. by seeing like their their content on screen, but we don't know what they're going through. Like we don't know like what his original plan was. And Not I really. feel like yeah. like one, two, and three, like that has more. Uh, they're more script. They're, like the scripts it's are bad. Yeah, like we but said, it's definitely more of of George's original thought of Star Wars mm-hmm. than we've ever seen because of two, you know, the CGI, you know, the advancement in technology. He was able yeah. to let loose mm-hmm. on, you know, a lot of the expanded universe. Yeah, but he still knew what he wanted to do. And and granted, you know, one, two, and three are probably easier scripts to write than than seven, eight, and nine. Mm-hmm. you know because you have a preface and you have something to lead up to you know you're it's the the tr- tragedy of anakin and darth vader mm-hmm. more than anything like seven eight and nine is just like like what like what is what is what are we what are we talking about here you uh th- th- yeah i have no what? idea <laughs> like, <laughs> I like seriously even- I can't even name the villain off the top of my head. It's, uh, I know it's Adam the, Driver. <laughs> well, yeah, I would. He's definitely the main antagonist. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like he's ever redeemed, like Darth Vader was. Mm-hmm. They never, they never, you know, he he fought back in the last film, but it like he literally only says "ow." It, redeemed Ben only ever says "ow." He's so is, emo. Like, it's just like, I hate you, dad. I hate you, mom. Go well, away. I'm like, well, <laughs> I like that. He's the, that's the, that's like the character with the most emotion and the most background out of all of them. He's, yeah. re- he's really, to me, the only character you feel for that's mm-hmm. new outside of, you know, Luke Han and Leia and Chewie, characters that we already know don't mm-hmm. need any further development. Yeah. You know? they are given further development with with han and leia and, and ben you know and a little bit of ray but i, I, I don't feel like ray's the uh, as much focus as there is on on um kylo ren's development it makes me feel like he's the protagonist and he's the main character because i feel like we don't get shit from ray i, I feel like uh, that's why I like this is why i like last jedi so much is I like that Ryan Johnson turned Ray into a nobody. Like yeah. when 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 Kylo Ren, that's his name, uh says like, "Oh, your parents are nobody." Because when JJ Abrams was building up that she was like a Skywalker, I I like the fact that that they need it, to it, flip it, it around. <laughs> they flip it around and also it gives like kids like 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 hey, maybe I can do it too. Yeah, I I like that. I can appreciate that. But for whatever reason, they couldn't end on that. Yeah, it, they couldn't. They couldn't stick to something, and fulfill it. Yeah, and no. I feel like that's what George Lucas did. Like he stuck yes. to one, two, and three, and he fulfilled it. Whether you like yeah. it or not, that's up to you. But that's uh, yeah. That's the the Lucas rise felt. of 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 Anakin and and his dilemma with the Jedi Order mm-hmm. and the flawed Jedi Order, you know, and for what it's worth ryan johnson and last jedi are the only ones that even acknowledge the prequels mm-hmm. to, to to my from my point of view because when ray is learning from luke on that isolated island i thought it was the best part of all three movies 
mm-hmm. you know the the whole entire new trilogy the the best parts about it were as luke trying to teach ray about the hubris of the jedi and ultimately the jedi's own hubris is what tore them apart because they couldn't you know they they couldn't handle anakin and they they had uh a, and the emperor you know building his empire under mm-hmm. right under their nose and you know ryan johnson acknowledges that and i appreciate that in last jedi but yeah i, I feel know. like that that's where people start hating Last Jedi too, is because they didn't like that Luke. Uh, this is what from what I read, they didn't like that Luke. Yeah, was he became such an asshole, pessimistic. Yeah, but like it, he refused the the Jedi teachings and and stuff like that. But and, so if you look back at it, so was Yoda. Like yeah. Yoda was like like when Luke freaking crash landed in his freaking like swamp. He was like, what are you doing here? Like, And he was like running away. Didn't like, want to teach him. Yeah, he didn't want to teach you know, him. Thought he, he was, he was too stubborn. Old, uh-huh. uh, you know, too impatient. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, uh, they even, well, you know, it's not, I don't think it's so greatly expressed un- unless you really try to see everything through Luke's eyes. Um, in the the end of Empire Strikes Back, and the beginning of Return of the Jedi, uh, I think if you see it through Luke's eyes, you see that the old traditional Jedi values are not to be tolerated. You can't. Luke rejects them. He openly rejects them, but he does it. He does it for the sake of his his friends and for the sake of love. Mm-hmm. So he, he it's kind of crazy because he kind of goes through the same almost the same arc. Anakin goes through except he handles it differently mm-hmm. and he ultimately probably feels maybe the the same sort of dilemma that Anakin his father went through years prior granted the experiences were very different and, and Anakin wasn't given a situation that was any easier um, right because mm-hmm. he was the prophet and the, the chosen one and, mm-hmm. you know and he had his only loved one he had left um facing the brink of death and he thought he was the only one to save it and the jedi were just like you know don't fuck around with that love shit (laughs) right because this is what happens and you should be able to let it go yoda was trying to tell the same thing to luke when he sensed that his friends were in danger and yoda said if you go now you know you're gonna suffer because you know because like oh we did the same thing with anakin you know so we can't or Anakin did the same thing so we can't let Luke do the same thing when really they're not reflecting on themselves and seeing how that their teachings are too traditional and they aren't effective for the new generation of Jedi yeah that's what uh, that's what I got from it yeah I, I I think you hit it right on the head um just I, yeah I just like like I said I'll keep going back to it like George Lucas like he had a vision Mm-hmm. And I feel like J.J. Abrams, whether he likes Ryan Johnson or not, I f- like they never communicated like back and forth. Yeah, and it, you could, you don't even. I mean, even if they did, it, it that's how it speaks through the film. Mm-hmm. You're 100 percent right. You know. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's kind of de- you know a little depressing, but it is what it is. Yeah, it's like it's 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 a little depressing, especially just because this is Star Wars's legacy now. It's 
like it, like they're they're most likely going to be done with well, like trilogies yeah, and they're no just more, gonna... no more skywalkers you yeah. know no more you know darth vader bloodline and and empire and palpatine you know mm-hmm. i i think that they'll try to still push obviously they are with mandalorian um which has been in, incredible I, um, I still haven't seen it what yeah you're, you're gonna <laughs> i knew you're gonna react like that it totally like just it makes me feel optimistic about mm-hmm. uh disney operating with star wars mm-hmm. um i kind of it makes me feel like the trilogies were just huge projects and there was a lot of pressure you know especially with a the skywalkers being in it and a you know a skywalker being a protagonist you know granted she wasn't really a skywalker Mm-hmm. Um, Mandalorian is just like fresh and original and, and it still you know has continuity where it takes elements from the Star Wars universe but it's like its own it's its own thing see I get that from uh, a lot of the sp- from the spinoff movies that they made like I yeah, think Solo Rogue is one. the weakest out of all of them but I, hate I, <laughs> I love I love uh, um, what's, uh, Rogue One I love Rogue, Rogue One, one. Is- because it makes a new hope an even better film it, and yeah. and it just adds to it and i'll have to go back and watch this, this is one again it's so good it's like i think this has been this sort of thing in film is when you have films that are that provide continuity mm-hmm. you know rogue one stands alone by itself and you know fabulously if you didn't see new hope you could start probably still really enjoy rogue one mm-hmm. but if you saw and were a fan of the original trilogy rogue one is just going to be that much better because it you know it, it it it's like in the universe it's like you're watching those movies a different part of the world while those movies are going on yeah and like and- i said about back to the future part two that's why i loved it so much it's because you see him go back to the scenes from mm-hmm. episode one and you know all that stuff and in Endgame, when they time travel, go back to New York, as a as a as a fan of cinema, I love it when they do that. I can't I can't express how much that it, stuff is can be powerful if you do it right. Yeah, it definitely can be powerful. Uh, like I I love Rogue One mainly because, uh, like I said, it makes A New Hope better, and uh, I don't I I appreciate like a Star Wars like movie or even TV show that doesn't have lightsabers in it. Like there's like, or like we mentioned this before, like no Skywalkers, no lightsabers. Like there's a little bit of force like in there, but it's, uh, it's, it's not really a main plot point. Like I, like I, I want to see more rebel movies because I think like yeah. the, the rebels are just like super, super, super under, underdeveloped like characters. Like you see them a little bit, but it's like, like, like in less Jedi, like the, the, uh, I want to know more about like the 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 girl that dropped the bombs on the star destroyer. I want to know her yeah. story because we find out more about her in the 3 minutes like when she's dying and she holds like the rebel pin and says uh it it's almost like for the motherland or something like that or or like she holds right. up her fist up and says like black lives matter or something you like really, that. You really uh you see the embodiment of the rebel alliance mm-hmm. and their their motives be, uh, as a group you know and it, it, it it's expressed so clearly and vividly through like a minute you know or a couple minutes 
yeah. and hardly any words spoken. And you already feel like everyone would do that for the mm-hmm. Rebel Alliance just because you saw this one girl do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I don't know about Solo. I'm not like, you said you don't like it. Right? I, 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 I was so frustrated with it. <laughs> you know, like when I watched the, the new sequels, when I came out of the theater, I, I enjoyed it. I came out happy and like saying, Hey, that movie was good. And I enjoyed it, you know, and in hindsight, I had different views about the rise of Skywalker and last Jedi. But mm-hmm. when I walked out of solo, I was just like, this sucks. I <laughs> felt nothing with solo. I, I, <laughs> it's like, it's, I, it was terrible to me. And I don't feel like the characters were true to their original counterparts in any way. Yeah. It, I felt like the, um, who, who's the guy that played, young Han Solo it was a uh, he was in the, that Coen Brothers movie um I don't know his uh, name. B- burn after reading uh, I thought he was good but just the development of like Han Solo just like and just like the story of him doing the Tessel run like I don't like I don't really want to see that with Han Solo uh, the thing about Rogue One is that it's something that I've always wanted wanted to know it's questions that were asked and they finally got answered but like when Han Solo is talking like bragging about that in like A New Hope and saying that he did the Tesla run in like like three parsecs or whatever um is that is that how is that how long something like that 12 parsecs or something like that yeah 12 parsecs uh like I like when I f- watched A New Hope and I heard him say that I I wasn't like oh I want to see a movie on that I saw it as more of like Han Solo just bragging. Yeah, it's just it's, his character, you know, using his ego to his advantage. And then, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I think when Rogue One happened, everyone thought, oh, we could we could make a movie out of one line, you know, mm-hmm. out of this one line that many Bothans died to get these plans. Let's make let's let's make a movie about those Bothans fucking dying to get those plans. Mm-hmm. And and they definitely took that and like, okay, let's make a Han Solo movie and let's do it the out of his one, you know, liner from the Tesla run or whatever. And yeah. like, okay, I see where you're going with it, but at this point, you're just trying to show his his fabled experiences, you know, meeting Chewie, getting his gun put together and getting his name and all. It, it's not too, it's not so much about the story as it is the actions, uh, yeah. you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. once you start doing that, well, then you're just, you're just being, I don't know. You're, it's it, hitting those nostalgia points. Yeah. But and it's a, if that's what all you're doing, you're, you're, you, I don't know. It's, yeah. Ugh. You know, not to mention the acting was really awkward. Yeah. Um, And the really weird part was when he starts talking to Chewie. Like, what the fuck? I I, I honestly forget about that. He literally starts starts speaking Wookiee. What? He learned it as an elective. I'm going to have to rewatch this. It was just one scene. One scene. Yeah. And he's uh, like, oh, we gotta figure out your name or Chewbacca is too long to say. And then when he's like on the train saving his life, he's like, Chewie. And all of a sudden, oh, that's his name now, Chewie. I guess, you know, that's, that's really the only thing they were trying to hit in that movie to me was I, getting those nostalgia points. I think the thing that when pissed me off When Rogue One most, was really just good cinema. It, yeah, it definitely. I think the thing that pissed me off about Solo the most was how Han Solo got his name. And he was like, it's... It, wasn't he standing in that line 
And they're like, we, are you yeah. with anyone? He was like, no, I'm solo. Nope. And I'm like, he didn't say he was solo. He says, I don't have, like, who are your people? The, oh. the Imperial dude, because he was, he was signing up to be an Imperial pirate, mm-hmm. uh, pilot. And yeah. uh, he's like, who are your people? And he's like, I don't have people. So he's, he's like, and, solo. Oh, yeah. I guess I'll put you down as Han Solo. And I, and I don't know. I just thought I, that was I, just. It's a little corny. Yeah. It's a little corny, not gonna mm-hmm. lie, but I kind of, I kind of like the idea of how he got his name, mm-hmm. you know. But they just don't. It just doesn't hit. It doesn't hit home. Yeah, it. I don't know. I was laughing in the theater when I when when that happened. It's, I was. Just... Its presentation is definitely corny. Yeah, I think I, the best part about that was the Imperial March being in a major key mm-hmm. at the beginning when he's in a little recruitment area. And they're playing dun 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 dun, but it's more of a major key, so it sounds like the like a you know a military version. They're trying to recruit people mm-hmm. for it. So I yeah, was, I thought that was hilarious. Uh, no, I need to rewatch this movie. I don't think it's like <laughs> I totally. I must have just blanked it out of existence. <laughs> they they do an all right job expanding the universe. You yeah. know, there's some you know, and it's also like the the. The Millennium Falcon losing its escape pod, and that's mm-hmm. how it gets that little, da- you know, jagged thing in the center mm-hmm. of it. It's another point just to prove that they're only going for uh, reminiscent stuff. About yeah. Them, so hitting that nostalgia, uh, yeah. nostalgia bone in your body. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I th- we've been talking for, been like for like almost two three hours. hours. <laughs> we've been on for like two hours, huh? Yeah. Right. Uh, so. I feel like um, not to like cut like our conversation short, but I feel like I don't I don't want to hold you up like all day. And uh, um, thank Cam- Cameron, thank you for joining me to, yeah, no for problem. the se- season finale of the of the water cooler whoop, season whoop. episode thirteen. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at msilverbrand. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast at ninety nine cents a month, as low as ninety nine cents a month, and. Uh, yeah uh thank you for joining me cameron and uh i'll see you thank you for having me i'll see you for episode 14 all right all right see ya